There is no error with your audio outputs. Do not attempt to fix any sound issues. We are monitoring you with this device. We control your options and settings. We are transmitting through your internet connection, but our signal is actually entering your mind, sending electrical impulses into the very tissues of your brain. Try to stay calm. We've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Okay, you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear, boss. Okay. All right. <clears throat> How the fuck are you? I'm fucking okay. Yeah. All right. <coughs> hey, Ron. Hey, Olaf. How are you, Ron? Just swell. Thank you. You know, Ron, I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm just sitting here doing nothing. And I was thinking, man, we should like do a podcast. Maybe like a paranoia podcast? Yeah, like a paranoia podcast. Man, it's been forever. It has. What the hell? What happened to us? I don't know, Ron. What happened to us? I think there was like a space-time issue, <coughs> you know, some sort of uh, rip in the continuum. Um, that's one theory. And the other is just we had a lot of shit to deal with. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, coughing is very uh, amateurish. Yes, yeah. we had a lot of shit to do. Um, yes, we, uh, we took a break for a while, but we have a tendency to do that. You know, the one thing I love about our podcast, Ron. Yeah. Is that we make it when we feel like it. Yes. And it's interesting, too, because there are times where it's like, hey, I'll say, let's do the podcast. And then we're all about to do it. And you go, hey, dude, I got to work. And go, oh, okay. And then vice versa. You know, sometimes you go, okay, we're going to do the podcast tonight. And I go, yeah, right on, bro. And then it's like, uh, sorry, I got to stay till midnight. Yep. Yeah, so well, you know, I think we finally connected to where we both can can do it. avail some time to this vital cause to inform the masses. I think the other thing is, is that much like the magazine, we publish it randomly and mm-hmm. irregularly. I think that <laughs> as a as a as a, a brand, uh-huh. though we we need to be known for our skittishness. And irregularity. It's kind of like our personalities. You're just kind of random and irregular. Huh? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, look. There's some number one. We're this is like amateur hour. You know, we cough and fart, and but you know, the, the truth is, is that you know there there are plenty of podcasts out there where every week, bang, bong, bang, bong, they get it done. Mm-hmm. That's not this podcast. This podcast is... Well, we're actually pretty punk rock, to be quite honest with you. We are. We are, we are revolutionaries of the podcast world. 
Mm-hmm. We are. We are revolutionaries, Ron. Hey, didn't you say at one time we were like in the top 100 on Stitcher or something like that? Yeah, and we weren't even making new ones. <laughs> I think there is some nostalgia going on. <coughs> oh, know, oh yeah, we we weren't like, even making new ones and we were in the top 100 on Stitcher. Yeah. Yeah, the the guys from Stitcher, they they sent me an email. They're like, "Oh, you're in the top 100." And I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> How did that happen? Oh, I was laughing so hard. I'm going to I thought maybe the bottom 100, but the top 100. The top 100. Man. Just yeah. on the just on the crap that we already put out. I know we should just get crappier and crappier each week, and <laughs> our rankings will go exponentially higher. But I'll tell you, you know, I get a lot of I get a lot of unhappy mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's just try. I mean, I know it's hard, but let's just like sometimes we just gotta like. There, I mean, there are times where we're sick and we're just not feeling well. But let's just gut it out from now on, damn it, and make it happen. Because people like the Paranoid Podcast. Not they everybody. Do. No. But a lot of people do. Nope. Uh, I have I, I read the, the negative comment where they said. Oh, you got hate mail? What did the hate mail say? It was like amateur hour. Oh, cool. And okay. I, re- I replied back and I said, you're damn right. Yeah. And we're going to stay that way. Absolutely. You're not paying for it. So mm-hmm. our production values are extremely low. Yeah. But hey, you know what? There have been some developments in the paranoia world as of late, from my understanding. Really? There have yeah. been? And yeah. what is that? Well, I heard there's a magazine. <coughs> I'm coughing. You know, our damn state is on fire. You just got to let me cough. Yes, we actually put out a new issue, surprisingly, and the, we are working on another one. <gasps> oh my God! But yes, yeah, I know. I'm going to have some really good writers. I mean, we always do, but these are. I'm going to have a lot of new writers in this next one, so I'm not really sure if it's going to be a uh, fall issue or a winter issue. We'll see. We'll get it done. Yeah, we're going to get it done, and it's going to be great. No, I think this one is going to be the best of all time. Seriously. Uh, I think, I think it's going to be a good cross-section of all kinds of craziness, I think, from the parapolitical yeah, to the paranormal. I think they're all the best. They get better every time. Yeah. And and I, I've got some, I got some new writers coming, too. Uh, we got some guys, some cryptid guys that are oh. writing some cryptid articles uh, and mysterious stuff. Uh, they're they're coming they're coming in on the next one, so we're gonna have some cryptids. Uh, Hercules, uh, my buddy Hercules, he's uh, he was a guest on the show. He is oh, yeah. he is doing an entire series on hi- Hyperborea. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the hell's that? <laughs> the inner earth and and this idea oh, of like okay. oh. you know underground cities and and mysterious stuff and. Yeah, he's uh, he's doing an entire series for us, and I'll tell you something else. He's been writing like crazy reviews of good books and stuff. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's he's on it. Hercules yeah. is on it. Three yeah, podcasts. I like, the, I like the guy's energy. Oh, yeah, great energy. Just, he was just really cool. Well, he's on it. He's on a quest right now for the Grail. Uh-huh. Um, so he's, you know, he's been doing a lot of research on, on the grail and, and, uh-huh. uh, goddess worship and. Oh, wow. 
goddess worship. Woohoo! Yeah, he's about to start a new TV show uh, in New Jersey, where he's from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, Hercules is the best. But yeah. yes, now, now the issue that we just put out, I know we, we, we were discussing what to actually talk about. Oh, oh, yes. Uh, and we couldn't figure it out. Uh, you, you listeners may not know this, but Ron and I will actually communicate when we're not on the podcast and try to decide what to talk about. And it's always... You mean weird. like telepathically communicate or what? Of course. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and we have, sometimes we have a hell of a time trying to decide because there's, you know, it's like, do we get a guest? Do we talk? You know, we just kind of don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, we, we couldn't figure it out uh, for this one. So we're just kind of going with the flow. Um, and I did yeah. want to talk about one thing. Well, actually, there are, well, there are always a few things we can talk about. But one thing I'm actually really excited about, um, randomly, like everything else we do, randomly, uh, my buddy, who has a really great uh, Doctor Who podcast on Podcastica, uh, Taylor, mm-hmm. Uh, will be dropping by randomly to uh, to prompt us with a a topic, and uh, you know Ron and I have no idea what the topics are, uh, so he's gonna so Taylor's gonna help us out when we're in a we're in a conundrum, and give us a something to talk about, and and uh, we're just gonna I don't know figure it out. So it's sort of like he can talk, and then we can like watch TV or something or, you know, not pay attention, write, write a story, write an article for paranoia while he's just talking away. Uh, something like that for about two okay. minutes, he's going to, he's going to lay the groundwork and uh, neither of us will pay attention mm-hmm. and then uh, we'll have to react to it. So it, it'll be oh, like the gong oh. show. Yeah. So it's, it's <laughs> going to be sort of impromptu. It's going to be like being on the debate team, like, okay, this is what we're talking about, and then you have to debate it or something. You know, you know, conspiracy gong show could work. Uh, that's true. What's yeah, his but, name? The guy the guy who was the host of the gong show. Um, yeah. What's his name? What's the name of the guy who was the... the Chuck host? Barris. Chuck Barris. You know yeah, the thing about Chuck... CIA, alleged CIA, alleged CIA hitman. hitman. You know what's funny about that is that when, when Chuck Barris... Uh, random topic when Chuck Barris actually wrote his memoir and said, Oh yeah, I was actually a CIA assassin. Everybody was like, Chuck, you're, you're high. Ha ha. Funny, funny. Right. But it it turns out that, that there is some evidence that he was actually out of the country, at least for, for some of the times when he said he was out doing stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I don't know. It just, it just. I just so... like this fashion sense, you know, the frilly. Uh, you yeah, know, I always loved watching the Gong Show because, like, <coughs> oh man, like um, he would start the Gong Show, mm-hmm. and and he'd come out in in the tuxedo, and the tuxedo would be like perfect, right? And then over time, throughout the show, he'd lose the bow tie, and then he'd lose the jacket. And then he'd unbutton the shirt, and then he'd unbutton the shirt again and again and again, until it's like unbuttoned down to his navel. So by the time, oh yeah, by the time he walks off, you know he's obviously like half drunk, and 
and and dancing around and and yeah it was i just i love the gong show you just you can't yeah well didn't he produce other shows too like the dating game he did he did i believe the the newlywed newlywed game yeah. So, I mean, and we'll the thing is, when he first started out, he tried to get a lot of different shows on and they yeah. laughed at him. They go, oh, get out of here, you know, but see what happens when you uh, persevere and you're also a CIA hitman. Good things come to you. That's right. Being a CIA hitman definitely helps. Hey, you want to know something interesting CIA-ish? What? I uh, I recently found a copy of something called the Kubark Manual. Do you know what the Kubark Manual is? No. You don't know what the Kubark Manual is. Sorry, man. No, I, it, it's no maybe shit, in the really? recess in my brain, but uh... okay. The Kubark Manual is this is the CIA manual for interrogation. Mm-hmm. And well, it's called the 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 Kubark Manual of Interrogation and Counterintelligence. Right. And there are two versions of it. One was made in 1963. The other was made in 1988. And the 88 one was like, it's like managing, what was it? It's like managing personal personal interaction or something. They renamed it. But Kubark, the Kubark manual is literally the CIA guide to interrogation. Mm-hmm. So Paranoia is going to put out a, uh, a copy of the Kubark manual. Wow, that's going to be something. Yeah, you ever want to know how to interrogate somebody? How? You know, co- coercive interrogation? Well, you don't uh-huh. know how. The CIA way. The wow. uh, Well, it's actually a very interesting thing to read if you're conspiracy-oriented. Um, what it ends up saying as a summary is that the best way to to interrogate somebody is either through the threat of the use of pain or, mm-hmm. or through uh, through limiting stimulus. So, mm-hmm. basically, if you really want to interrogate somebody well, you yeah. have to you put them in a dark room, mm-hmm. and don't allow them to see light or hear sounds or anything. And within seventy two hours, they go nuts. I mean, like batshit crazy. Mm-hmm. And I I I was watching a documentary. And they had an example, and there was a guy. He was an army, uh, he was an army um, volunteer. They put him inside of a pod, and it was a it was a sensory deprivation pod, right? Mm-hmm. And after eleven hours, he tore out the inside of the pod and kicked the door open. Wow! Yeah, the longest when they were doing studies, and and the Kubark thing. We'll do the Kubark thing as a as a subject because it really is fascinating and the there's a lot of overlay that a lot of the guys in montreal that were working on on you know cia course of interrogation they're the Mm -hmm. same guys who were involved in ultra so you're talking about you said in montreal huh yeah there's like a there's like a, a neurosciences institute in montreal that was funded yeah about when was this when did this occur 50s, 60s. Okay, so this is interesting. So you know about Dr. Ewan Cameron, right? Well, he was part of the Kubark thing. He was. Part there you of the, go. See, yeah. that, uh, there you go. McGill yeah, University, Allen Memorial Institute. Yeah, they, there's a lot of overlap. A lot of the guys from Ultra came mm-hmm. from the the coercive interrogation stuff, and and it's interesting because 
they they performed these crazy tests where they had these people that were suspended in, in water in, uh-huh. in like 90 it's like 99 degree water or something uh-huh. and then they they position their their arms in like like cardboard tubes uh-huh. and then they have like white noise playing in in the headphones and they covered their eyes <coughs> and they would actually feed them and it's crazy right yeah the maximum they could go is 72 hours oh yeah yeah <laughs> and at 72 hours they were basically nuts and they sure. were they were hallucinating and very very open to interrogation. But yeah, they did studies for quite some time on it, and mm-hmm. and what they figured out is that that was the the most efficient means for interrogation. That's going to be some book. Don't we already have a, a book dealing with uh, um, sort of like brainwashing and uh, propaganda, some Russian or Soviet. Book? We have a we have a, a Soviet book on psycho psychopolitics and and uh, brainwashing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by Levant. Um, I forget the guy's name. Something Levant. He was the head of the NKVD, the mm-hmm. that became the KGB. Right. Yeah. And so we have a few and propaganda. Uh, and, we, we have a few books dealing with mind control, and then of course we have. The compilation edition of MK Zine. Yes. Which is a book that I had put together through some of the uh, magazines and some of the um, newsletters that I'd put out back from 2003 to 2005. And someday. So that's a good one. Someday and then, Ron's going to write Clyde's a book on it. together something too, you know. He's going to put together a mind control book here. Yeah, he needs to. But someday Ron's going to write a book on mind control because. Listeners, you, you may not know it, but Ron is actually one of the experts in the world on MK Ultra and mind control. Oh man, I got to tell you what happened the other day, dude. I was on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it was a serious podcast. Oh man, uh, this is the worst. It's called uh, "Lift the Veil," okay. and uh, um, I talked about Project Monarch and MK Ultra, and I was a little—I'm a little nervous, you know, when I'm actually being uh interrogated well yeah interrogated but i mean it was like a video uh podcast so it's like showing my face and everything i'm a little nervous so i'm smiling but people thought i was being really shady and suspicious because i was smiling but you smile all the time Ron. well not all the time but it was just weird how i got so many haters from that show or uh People were saying, oh, he must <coughs> like the vibe that he puts off, or he's a Luciferian shill, or, oh, yeah. you know. But I mean, it, it, I think it's just sort of uh, the reality of the internet yes. and how people interact and communicate with one another, where they really don't know the facts. Well, this is the deal. I was talking about some of the people who I think are involved in or like kind of like agent provocateurs or involved in controlled opposition, right. namely like Fritz Springmeier and Mark Phillips, Ted Gunderson, John DeCamp. I mean, these are all people I knew personally. And because they're like sacred cows, you know, when it comes to the uh, mind control community, uh, man, I just got attacked left and right. But, you know, I, I just told Nathan, he's the uh, moderator, really good guy too, really nice guy. I said... You know, 
if people want to do a Q&A type thing where they can call in and ask questions, that would be great. But uh, I was just so surprised how many people, I mean, most of the people thought it was great, you know, because I kind of laid it out there about, you know, the history of MKUltra and about alleged Project Monarch. I try to tell people that, hey, there's no official Monarch, but it's it's just sort of a catchphrase to use for trauma-based mind control. But even with that, they thought, oh, I'm trying to, you know, control the narrative or whatever. It's like, uh, no, I'm just trying to be factual as much as I possibly can with the amount of, you know, knowledge that I have about certain subjects. Hmm. We're not all perfect. Uh, but, yeah, it was just so bizarre to <laughs> be attacked and, like, people are just saying, oh, I don't like the vibe that he puts off. Oh, yeah, I've had that happen. Oh, man. Well, I mean, and, and for me. Anyway, I, ju- I just had a vent there, I rant oh, for okay. a little bit because it was just, like, it was bothersome. And, you know, my friend Stephanie, she was right there, and she was trying to do some damage control for me by, you know, like, responding to people in the chat room and stuff. But, uh, oh, and then they would say certain things that I never even said, but they said that I said them, you know, those type of things. So I was like, I I had that happen once. I, I, I went on a a radio show podcast, whatever. And, and Uh they, they wanted to talk about the secret space program and the Nazi bell and all that stuff. And I, I went on there and, you know, I mean, I have a, I have a hypothesis. I mean, I wrote a damn book about it and, Mm -hmm. You know, I have a theory about the secret space program that there, you know, are opposing forces and whatever. And mm-hmm. I was talking about the bell and 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 all that stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, there were a lot of people that were calling me a shill, and that was a government agent. It's like, dude, the Illuminati doesn't pay me enough. If this <laughs> yeah. is how much I'm getting paid by the Illuminati or whatever you want to call them, man, I'm really not making enough money here. <laughs> I know. I need a What's raise. Deal with that. Yeah. Right. But we, but we no, I got called a shill. I got called a, you know, a lot of things. And it was like, look, I'm just telling you the way I see it. You don't have to agree with me. You know, I think most UFOs are man-made. I think they're little people flying around inside of them. I don't think they're yeah. aliens. And you know, uh-huh. and, I, and and it's like especially because. In, in my premise of how I discuss the subject, I attack the conventional view of the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. Right. And, and, the and thing that's is, not popular because I'm going after, I mean, that's, you know, if, if, if Ted Gunderson and, and Mark Phillips and those guys, if that's, you know, the equivalency in mind control, I'm, I'm going after the crown jewels in ufology. So I'm not very popular sometimes. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, I think the bottom line is that unfortunately a lot of people just can't dialogue or debate without taking it personally now. And it it just sort of, uh, well, you know, I see it even on ground zero, you know, with people calling into Clyde and, getting all bent out of shape for nothing, you know, and personally attacking him on messenger. And it just, it it just seems like it's just grown out of hand. Well, I I think it's a problem in, in ufology and the conspiracy world. You know, we've had this conversation many times and, and I think that, you know, what happens is that in, in the, in the, you know, conspiracy ufology, 14 stuff in general, maybe not so much on the ghost side, 
you know, the paranormal side, but I think even there too. And I've seen it in the cryptid world as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got these people and I'm, I'm not a big namer of names, but mm-hmm. you know, you've got these people, they write a bunch of books and they, they're, and you know what? They're, they're experts, you know, they, they're experts in their field. They've done a lot of research. They know this stuff backwards and forwards. And, and they, they think because they go on TV or, you know, they, they write a bunch of books or whatever. They think that everything they think is right. And, you know, you come along and, you know, you do research and, you know, I always tell people, Hey, you know, if you want to be a UFO researcher, just go be one. You know, there's not like a special course you have to take it at, at ufology university it's it's about pick something that you're passionate and interested in and then just go do the goddamn research you know and Mm -hmm. i say anybody can do it anybody can write a book anybody can speak at a conference it's not there's no secret sauce right be entertaining be likable be nice but there's no you know there's no one person has the keys to the kingdom here and and i've noticed that that even even if you agree with some of these people that they will still come after you because it's about market share that there is a finite number of people apparently in the world though I don't I don't know what the market cap is on this stuff but you know it's funny because uh, you know in my past lives <clears throat> you know I was con- I worked at places where we were concerned about Gardner Gartner quadrants and all this kind of crap and it, uh-huh. and it's like you know I don't know where I fit on the Gartner quadrant of conspiracy research. But, you know, these, these guys, you know, they, they want their market share. And, and if you are, just exist, they will come after you just because. Because they want to, you know, you, you selling your book is in opposition of them selling theirs. And they're going to win. You know, and to me, it's like I don't do it for the money. I don't. Mm-hmm. I do it for the, for the sheer joy of doing this. And right. I passion. enjoy the subject. Yeah, passion. You know, and and it's hard because, like in the UFO and conspiracy world, the they really do eat their young. It's not it's not a kind of situation where the the old guard will come along and say, "Oh yes, please do research. This is how you should do it." Mm-hmm. There are a few people like that. You know, um, I mean, you know, um, Brad Steiger comes to mind. Beautiful man. You know, mm-hmm. I, I miss him. He's a great, he was a yeah. great man. And he was always very like, oh, that's interesting. Like I, I had a discussion with him once over email and, and I, he had asked about my theory about the, about the uh, Nordic aliens. And, uh-huh. and he was like, and I, I told him my theory and he, and he read the stuff that I had written, a couple of articles that I had written on the subject that, and some stuff out of the book. And he sent me an email back and it was a beautiful email. He said, you know, Back in the back in the fifties and the sixties, he's like, you know, I met a couple Nordics, and he said maybe they weren't aliens. That's interesting. Maybe you're right. <laughs> maybe they're from Norway. <laughs> maybe they were Nazis. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe yeah. maybe I'm wrong about that. And that, but that yeah. is very rare. And you know, uh-huh. and like Tim Beckley, you know, he's been around the block for a, a thousand years, and you yeah. come to Beckley and say, hey. You know, maybe men in black aren't aliens, and and Beckley will have that argument with you, debate with you, discussion with you, and and it's like when you come away from that kind of a debate or discussion, you know, both of you are like, oh, I didn't think of that, but there are a lot of people in that are kind of like I call them the conspiracy all stars, that mm-hmm. they yeah, if you don't agree with them, 
they're they're coming down on you. Yeah. And I've also, you know, I've been I've been in in situations with some of those people where it's like they're they're telling you stuff and it's like, "Hey, I'm a fact-based person and I know for a fact that ain't true." So, yeah. you know, you just it's like I always tell people. I say, you know, it's about Occam's razor. When you do conspiracy research or whatever, mm-hmm. the simplest answer is probably the right one. Yeah. Yeah, you know. or sometimes they say the truth is somewhere in the middle. You know? Yeah, but but a lot of times, like, I mean, you could write a, you could do a lifetime of conspiracy research just on conspiracy researchers. Yeah, well, I mean, the book that I'd like to write about is from when I really started delving into the whole morbid and crazy conspiracy world back in 1992. From the heyday. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, Again, it's sort of like I was hanging out with people like Springmeyer and Gunderson and Mark Phillips, Kathy O'Brien, um, John DeCamp, a lot of the big names in mind control and ritual abuse. And uh, and then, you know, later I came to the realization that they weren't really who they wanted to be. And it wasn't because I was paranoid. It was just because there were a lot of... Uh, things that just didn't add up and and uh it basically when people start leaving a trail of division and discord and confusion then you kind of have to you know question what their motivations or agendas are and that's what i went by uh and there are a lot of people you know who have also come to that realization as well so it's not like i'm trying to slander or put somebody down because they're stealing my thunder or whatever. It's just I had some genuine concerns about these people, and they did not adequately uh, either answer my questions or there were just a lot of uh, contradictions in their stories. But so, but you disagree. Now you're a Luciferian shill, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I, and I'm an yeah. I'm an Illuminati agent. <laughs> well, um, maybe we can uh, like write. Um, reference letters. Okay. Just so that I have a good reference, and then I'll give yeah. you a good reference, and so then we can just kind of clear up the misunderstandings That's people right. might have about us. And so I'm telling you, though, you it's know, all it takes, right? If if this is what the Illuminati <laughs> pays, man, I need a raise. It's yeah. Not, yeah. Hey. Well, I'll, I mean, that's the whole thing too. Is like Illuminati. Uh. I don't know why people really think there's an Illuminati because I do. The, uh, I don't think so. You know, it, it, only, I, it only I, lasted twelve years, dude, from about seventeen seventy six to seventeen eighty eight. Well, sure, Adam Weishaupt and all that, but but no, no, hear me out. Okay, this is my theory. Okay, mm-hmm. I think I think that something exists. Yes, and that there's there's a small group of people. A cabal. A cabal. I think a cabal is a more accurate term. There's a small group of people that that have control over quite a lot of stuff. <clears throat> and and I don't, you know, I don't think, I've never believed that it's Luciferian or that it's um, mystical or anything like that. I think it's about money. I think it's about money and power. And it, I think we call them the Illuminati because that's just what's in vogue. 
but so I've more mysterious, perhaps. Yeah, but I've I've always preferred the powers that be. That makes more sense to me, or right. them them. But I, I do I do believe that there's a very small group of people, and I think it's hereditary that the the people that that are part of this cabal yeah. are are in power, and their families have always been in power. Uh-huh. And that's that's why I think it's it's the aristocracy. Right. And I guess that's where I would have to disagree with you, kindly disagree with you, in that I believe You're there so is wrong. like a yeah, there is like a Luciferian type of uh, connection here. Uh and and whether or not there's really that type of thing that's going on, I believe they believe it, you know, and, and they derive a lot of power or they think I they derive that. a lot of power through rituals. I, so, I I believe yeah. that, but yeah. for me for me personally, mm-hmm. I know that they do a lot of rituals. There's a lot of symbolism, mm-hmm. and but at at the end of the day, I I think that that the corruptness is human in nature. Yeah, I but I mean, just, you can have both. They don't oh, yeah. have to be mutually exclusive. But there are. But I I will agree with you uh-huh. that that you know whether Luciferianism exists or not, mm-hmm. right? Because that's yeah. a that's a personal decision, right. whether it exists or not. They do they do believe that it exists, and I mean, it takes you ten minutes on the internet to to go read about the Hellfire Caves in High Wycombe, yeah. England, and that'll tell you about all you need to know. Right. Mm-hmm. You know they they did they did Luciferian orgies and sacrifices mm-hmm. and all kind. Of, you know, good old Ben Ben Franklin, you know, was hanging out with these guys in in these tunnels and. They were doing all kinds of blood sacrifices and weird stuff. And Aleister Crowley, you know, he was <coughs> doing his thing too. Oh yeah, there's, there's a lot. I mean, it, you know that all that stuff. You can't make that crap up. I mean, it's yeah. you can't make this crap up. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't have that much imagination. Right. Some of this so it up. seems like. Uh, people really get it caught up into semantical arguments when right. you know they're delving into this stuff, and it's sort of like when people talk about good and evil, and it's sort of like, well, yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but I rather call it sort of uh, malevolence versus uh, benevolence, sure. you know, because it has to do with intent, and, and a lot of times the way we perceive. A person being good or a person being evil has to do with our uh, sort of religious ideologies or religious beliefs. And yeah, it's a it's a choice. Painted right, so it's a choice. Being good versus being bad is a choice. You make a right. You make a choice to be good, or you make a choice to be bad, or you, you know, mm-hmm. and and you can make multiple choices a day. It's not. You know, the, there are people I believe that that were inherently evil people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's yeah. there was an entire government of them in the in the Third Reich. Those people were just straight up evil. But you know, I think for the vast majority of the world, that you know, we make decisions. Some are good, some are bad, because mm-hmm. we're just people. Hey, can I change the subject though? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, because that's what we do here. Yeah, we can change gears just like that too. That's what I love about the Paranoia podcast. Like we're just getting deep and down and dirty, and then all of a sudden, boom! Where do so, we go? 
So one one of the articles in the new issue. I know you you wanted to talk a little bit about the new issue. Yeah, yeah. we should kind of like delve into some of those articles well, because uh, we want to be able to sell lots of them so we can go on a vacation. That's right. I wanna I wanna go on a vacation to the Holiday Inn in Sacramento. So please. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you this though. Free plug. Okay. Uh, the best dive bar in the entire face of the earth is the dive bar in Sacramento. Really? It's, it's a mermaid bar. It is so awesome. Huh. You know, my pastime, if you check out our Instagram, my pastime yeah. is that I go visit weird places. Yeah. The mermaid bar is, is definitely yeah. one, one of the best. Yeah, but, I know, like, Vincent Zunza, he's really big into, you know, from Pacific North Weird. Oh, yeah. He likes to do the same thing. He likes to go to those weird, anomalous type I just missed places. Him. Bar. I just I know. missed him at Willow Stupid. Creek. It was I wanted I wanted to meet Vince at, at, at Willow Creek Bigfoot Land. It's yeah, like you guys are both into park. weird shit, man. Well, I did. Thank goodness I'm not a weirdo. Yeah, <laughs> I did visit a place uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh-huh. Actually, no, last weekend I did visit a place that would be near and dear to your heart. Yeah, so yeah. I seem to remember, and then we'll get to the magazine. I, I seem to remember that a, a young Ron Patton uh, told me once that one of the first documented cases of a targeted individual was in Davis, California. Is that true? I don't know if it was one of the first cases necessarily, but it just seemed like that was sort of like a uh, focal point of where targeted individuals were complaining about being harassed electronically and then there was a uh, an actual uh, advocacy group um, you know trying to talk about the subject of targeting and electronic harassment when Cheryl was that? Welch I believe was spearheading that who's an attorney now when was that oh that was back in the uh, early 90s oh it would have been shut down by then but there, there was actually a secret U.S. Army transmitter in Davis. Uh huh. Oh, wow. And, and I, I went and visited because it's decommissioned now. So I went and took a look, uh-huh. and it's it's now a place called uh, D&Q University. Uh, it was a tribal university. Um, it's private property, people, so don't go tromping around in there. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, it was a former. Uh, Secret U.S. Army transmitter, and then down the road, uh, I, I visited a secret Navy transmitter uh, mm-hmm. in Dixon, California. Um, right. That that's kind of weird. But you know the you know the best one uh, the best one I visited. Where you, you ready? Yeah. Please tell me you were a fan of the Voice of America. Uh, okay, you, I was a fan of Voice of America in another life. Ah! Do, do you re, do you remember the Voice of America? Vaguely. Oh my God, Ron, you're a conspiracy nut. And you don't know what the Voice of America is. Well, I kind of do. Why don't you elaborate on it? Man? Okay, so the Voice of America, right, was a CIA funded, AT and T operated, by the way. But it's, or no, NBC operated. I'm sorry, AT and T was something else. <laughs> but it was an it was an NBC operated propaganda shortwave radio station. 
Right. And they. Okay. Now it's coming back to me because, you know, when they put me under mind control, right. that part of my memory was erased, but sometimes a little bit of it comes back. So, so it was in opposition to, to, uh, radio Soviets. Yeah. Radio Moscow. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, you'd tune into radio Moscow at night on shortwave and, you know, they'd be telling you, they'd be extolling the virtues of Marxism mm-hmm. and, and the Soviet yeah. Union and whatever. Well, we had the same. It was called the Voice of America. Okay. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and it was broadcast on shortwave for a very long time until the internet came along and, and the, the mm-hmm. CIA was like, well, you know, it's too expensive to operate these, these shortwave stations. Right. And we'll just do it on the internet. And, and the kind of the, the Russians kind of did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the main West Coast transmitter site for the Voice of America is located in Dixon. And it was bought it was bought in nineteen ninety eight. Dixon? Dixon, California. Where not Davis? No, it's outside of Davis. It's about ten miles ten miles south. Wow. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Well southwest. Right? Gotcha. And so it's a it was it uh yeah, it, it very classic design, big, you know, a security tower, the whole thing, huge uh, shortwave antenna arrays and whatever. Well, they sold it. They sold it off. Uh, the GS, GSA. They sold it off to a to a rancher in like 1998 for 150 thousand bucks. It's like 80 80 acres in size, right? Mm-hmm. And it's <clears throat> it's on a, a road called Radio Station Road. And it, it, uh, yeah, it, it's all there and it's, you know, it's locked up and stuff. And it's funny because I went and visited, I've actually been shooting videos and one of my, my little pet projects is that I've been shooting videos of these places and, and I'm going to edit them together into like, you know, two minute or three minute little videos. Well, (laughs) it's out in the middle of the cow pastures and cornfields and stuff, right? It's in the middle Uh of nowhere. So, so you, you're driving down this like like shitty road, and and you kind of pull up, and it's a freaking compound. I mean, it's a straight up compound, man. And you you're you're walking down the the driveway to this thing, and again, it's locked up and fenced off and stuff, so you can't get inside. I left a note. The rancher has not contacted me back, so unfortunately, all my videos from the outside. But but when you're walking up, there's this like pod. And it, it looks, I mean, I've seen a thousand of these things on military bases or government buildings. It's this, this white pod that, uh, you know, bullet, bullet absorbent windows and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like the guard shack. And then right. you, you can see where the card reader had been to open the gate and everything. It's all still there. But what's funny is that this rancher had bought this, bought this thing. And so when you look out on the shortwave antenna fields, I mean, a shortwave antenna is huge. I mean, it's massive. It's like, I don't know, four stories high. There's multiple four-story towers, and then they've got these wires running in between them and all this stuff. And they're, you know, they're in a shape, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's just cows, like walking next to the antennas. It's mm-hmm. it's so awesome. And then there's like a PG&E uh, solar panel array, like sitting in front of it. It's it's unreal. But it was it was like super top secret, and, and it was the, I guess Dixon because of its position on the map and something to do with the clay and the soil for for uh, grounding, 
that mm-hmm. it, it was it is like the primo spot to do like shortwave and <clears throat> and ultra low frequency broadcasting. So right. yeah, the Voice of America, the primary Voice of America transmitter is in Dixon. I went and visited. It's on the Instagram. I put photos of it up. It's it's a right. riot because you're in the middle of nowhere and you drive up and it's like this armored guard shack, you know. And then you look inside the window and and like it's totally trashed inside. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's really funny. Cold War now, archaeology. Now, what's the name of that uh, group you put together? The Society of what? I belong to. I'm a <laughs> carrying member. What the, Society of Obscure? This adventurers. The Society yeah. of Obscure Adventurers. Yeah. Yes, I, I'm a card-carrying member, actually. You are. So am I. And, and actually, this weekend, uh, on Saturday, uh, I'm driving up to Humboldt mm-hmm. um, again, freaking five hours. Yeah. But I found a World War II-era radar base that's in, a, in a, um, like a redwood forest in a place called Klamath, California. And they're... It is a a World War Two era radar base, right? right? That is camouflaged to look like a farm. Wow! And there, apparently, like there's like two of these left. That'd be so cool to visit. That's what I'm gonna do on Saturday. Wow! You know what? Someday I'm gonna be able to take a vacation from Ground Zero when we get you know enough staff. And I want to go on some road trips with you, buddy. Oh, I, uh, I find all the weird places. I know. <coughs> I went to but it'd be fun if we could go together and we could do like Facebook Live shit and stuff oh, yeah. like that. There's, yeah. a, there's a really interesting place uh, in Grass Valley, which is up in, in the Sierras. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's in the Sierras or in the foothills, but it's foresty. And there, mm-hmm. there was a guy uh, who lived there. His name escapes me at the moment. But there was a guy that lived there. Uh, again, it's on Instagram and in the Society of Obscure Adventures. Um, there's a school on it now, but it had been an airfield. And he he had developed a powered flight before the Wright brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can go out to where their runway was. It's now a soccer field for the school. And the school right. has a big mural and all this stuff. But he had a he had a steam powered um, aircraft that he flew before the Wright brothers. Wow! Oh, that must be something over. else, man. Well, you know the Did one you? the one you'd really like probably. Uh huh. Outside of San Francisco, there's a place called the Marin Headlands. Uh huh. And in the Marin Headlands, they have the last operational Nike missile site. Uh-huh. And the Nike the Nike missile system was. I mean, it was absurdly expensive. I mean, back in the in the sixties, the fifties and the sixties. I mean, it cost something like a billion dollars or something to build it. It was like a hundred billion dollar project by today's standards. Something absurd like that. And basically, it was run by the army, and it was a it was a whole shitload of these bunkers scattered everywhere, especially along the coasts. And they had these huge missiles. Uh, that they stored underground, and they were called Nikes, and mm-hmm. there were there were different ones. There was the um, the Nike Ajax was the first one, and it, it had a range of like two hundred miles. I mean, total junky ass missile, but but it you know it was designed as an anti aircraft missile, and, and the the theory was is that they had like these really sophisticated radar systems at the time, 
and they would mm -hmm. detect these bomb. They want they were going to detect these wings of bombers, these uh, bombers that the Soviets were going to send to bomb us, and then you fire the Nike up into the middle of the the formation and detonate it, and it was a nuclear missile. So then the nuclear fireball would absorb all the aircraft and vaporize mm -hmm. them. And so there was the Nike Ajax, and then there was a Nike Hercules, mm -hmm. which went up to like 500 miles. And then right. there was the uh, the Nike Zeus, mm -hmm. which was the largest. And I think it went to like 1,000 miles in distance. But they, they have a fully operational Nike missile site. So you, you it's called SF-88. And you go out there... And they, there are a lot of volunteers, and the volunteers are all these old guys who, when they were like 19, were loading like nuclear warheads on these <laughs> missiles, you know. And they tell you about doing that, and you can go down into the bunker, and they have, I think, um, I think they have eight, <clears throat> they have seven Nike missiles on the on the rails, mm -hmm. and then they just kind of keep the eighth Nike on the elevator. And so they'll they'll turn the thing on, and you'll hear their right, and then the mm -hmm. the hatches the hatch doors open, and the elevator lifts up, and and then uh, you go up to the top, and then they lift the missile in a firing position. So I guess each missile, each like silo, so to speak, could fire three at once, and so they put it in a central firing position. The guy mm -hmm. was actually telling us that when when they when they re refurbed the thing and made it operational mm -hmm. that they were testing it and they opened up the, the doors and, and lifted the missile into place and put it in a firing position. And like a couple hours later, the, um, the Soviet consul general in San Francisco called the state department and was like, why are you guys, you know, prepping these Nikes to fire? Mm -hmm. And, and they, the, they went to the DOD and the DOD came back and they said, well, under the SALT Treaty, we're allowed to have one one Nike missile uh, base operational as a reference. Mm -hmm. And so that's it. That's the Nike missile that's operational. And, I mean, it's not. You know, the, the missiles aren't fueled or armed or anything. But, mm -hmm. but, but they were like, you know, it's just, you know, it's a tourist. It's a tourist thing. You just go visit it, you know? And so I guess, I guess at one point the, the Soviet uh, consul general in San Francisco, like went and visited it. <laughs> you can't make that stuff up, but, but there are tons of these Nike sites all over the place, all throughout San Francisco and Angel Island has one and they're, yeah, they're all over. I, I think it'd be great to actually have a, um, one of those, uh, old silos and make it into a house. I oh think yeah, they do that, don't they? Titan, Titan missile silos. Yeah, they turn them into houses. That'd be cool because they're like underground bunkers. And... Oh yeah, yeah. It's like a four-story tall uh, cylinder. Yeah, mm -hmm. they do do that. Some the problem would be they... a, a good place to have like rave parties. Actually, you know what? You know what? The best if you wanted to have a rave party, the best kind of bunker that you can actually buy mm -hmm. are they're called communication vaults. And they uh -huh. were they were originally part of an AT and T communication network, mm -hmm. and these they're these huge bunkers that are probably ten thousand square feet, right? Twenty thousand square feet, and mm -hmm. and it's just a big room, 
Right. With like generators and all that other stuff, right? And mm-hmm. obviously they're down below underground, but it's mm-hmm. a, it's like a 20,000 square foot room. And they have um they have like uh tractors on the on the ceilings so that they can move like heavy machinery around. So they have rails on the ceilings and like tractors. You know, mm-hmm. they can like lift stuff up and move it around. So that, that would probably be your best set because it's like a ten or twenty thousand square foot room that you could have a big party in. Yeah, <laughs> maybe someday, someday. You can buy hey, I, I, we need to get to uh, some of these articles. And actually, the one that I was particularly interested in is the one that you wrote called "Beyonce Twitter and the Magical Mystery Twins." Yes. So maybe you can sort of uh, give us a synopsis of. <coughs> Your masterpiece that was featured in the, uh, the latest magazine. Paranoia magazine. So basically, um, you know, I'm I'm always interested in in Jay Z and and Beyonce, um, mm-hmm. and I noticed that she at the time she had not had her child yet. Yeah. Um, but I I had noticed that the twit she had sent out a picture on Twitter. And the, the pose that she was taking on Twitter um, was actually a yoga pose. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's bizarre. There's got to be something else to this. It's not not just she's sitting in, I forget the name of the yoga, it's all in the article. But Oh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, it's, it's not that it was just um, that she was in the yoga pose. But I thought, well, if you go to the trouble to dress yourself the way that she did. I think she's mm-hmm. mostly naked, but but there's like um there's like fabric hanging over and she has a crown of uh of flowers. Right. And then there's flowers on the ground and stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, if you're going to go to the trouble to have a yoga pose, right, that there's probably some other symbolism in there. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> so I basically dissected the photo to figure out what all the symbolism was, what the roses meant, what the colors of the roses meant, what the yoga pose meant, the you know some numerology. Yeah, she had a green veil, mm-hmm. a purple bra, uh, right. sort of powder blue panties. Right. What does all that mean? And what it turns out is that if you look at it, it's it's like the the alternative you know view of things, the conspiratorial view of things. If you actually look at it from that point of view. That there's mm-hmm. just a, an inordinate amount of symbolism hidden within that photo. Yeah. Well, obviously, I wrote an article about it, so there was something to it. Yeah. Actually, there's quite a bit of oh, yeah. uh, intriguing information about it. Well, you know, you know the one I'm actually excited about. What? It is the cover story. Mm-hmm. It is Walter Bosley's article about about the power sources of the uh, the mysterious arrows. Oh yeah, yeah. So you know the whole arrow thing, right? Tell me about it. Okay, so this is the mysterious airships of the eighteen hundreds. Okay, yeah, I know about those. Right. So the Sonora Arrow Club. If you go to Sonora, California, you can actually view where I'll take you, but you can view where the arrows launched from at the Sonora Airport. You can actually see where they launched from. Well, anyway, um, so there back in the late 1800s, like 1890s, that there were these mysterious airships that were seen all over the West, and then they started to go east, 
and there's a famous some famous interactions across Texas and other places where they saw these airships before airships really were invented, so to speak. At least it looked like that. And uh, because, you know, balloons and stuff were used in the 1700s, but the, these are like Zeppelin-looking airships, um, you know, dirigible kind of things. Right. Well, <clears throat> there's a guy named Delshaw who had who had worked with the, um, the Sonora Aero Club and apparently NIMSA, which was a, a Prussian uh, group that was like the opposing forces with the Sonora Aero Club. You know, the Sonora Aero Club was like American, the NIMSA was like German or Prussian, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this guy Delshaw had done a lot of stuff with the Sonora Aero Club, and he... I don't know why he did it, but he wanted to like document the arrows. And, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, this is a conspiracy world. So you can't just like document a bunch of dirigibles and their power systems and how they're designed or whatever. He did it in like this weird collage. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> he eventually died and he had just books and books and books of these collages that had were schematics basically for the arrows and these weird drawings and other stuff. And somebody, this guy had, had like fished them out of a dumpster and found them and like put them on, put them in an art display and all this other stuff. There's this whole history of these. Yeah. It was like around 1856. Uh, yeah. Original, uh, depictions of uh these arrows it started then but the 18 1890s i think is when they actually were like flying around mm-hmm. <coughs> well well or there was like a wave of them mm-hmm. well walter of course is very fascinated by this and he's he's written an, a number of books you know about the sonora aero club and and weird happenings related to, to the sonora aero club and he's done a lot of research into NIMSA. In fact, he's the only person I've ever met that has probably has a correct translation of what NIMSA means. Mm-hmm. And it's it's German. Mm-hmm. Well, he was fishing through these these Delshaw pictures and he found one that had the power source. And the power source has always been very mysterious about these airships. And he yeah. was right. They're, just the way they're shaped, they're just uh, it doesn't seem like they're necessarily aerodynamic. No, but and they had this this bizarre uh, fuel that they used to fly, and it was like mm-hmm. a, it was like super secret. Like one guy knew how to make it and all this kind of stuff. Well, he was fishing through and searching through all these photos of these these collages that Delshaw had done, and he came across. A, a piece of art, I mean, their art, a piece of art that showed the power right. source of one of these arrows, and wouldn't you know it, that mm-hmm. it looks exactly like the bell. Yes. The, the I'm Nazi looking at bell. Right now, as a matter of fact, yeah. Right. It looks exactly like the Nazi bell. And there's yeah. arrows, there are little arrows about how it's supposed to rotate, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a counter, counter-rotating power source. That mm-hmm. looks exactly like the bell. Now, yeah, this and is. There's another one too from <clears throat> 1965 in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Right, so that's the Kecksburg UFO. Gotcha. And if you look at the the shape of the Kecksburg UFO, mm-hmm. um, you know it, it was your classic kind of UFO thing. It came came hurling out of the air, 
it was on fire and whatever and then it landed and it caused the fire and these firefighters went in and then they got sent back sent out whatever and it was shaped like a bell and if you look at the shape of the kecksburg ufo and the the depictions of the nazi nazi bell the glocka they look exactly the same and one of the things that they yes. talked about with the kecksburg ufo specifically is that it was covered in hieroglyphics and the, the thought is is that if you look at the kecksburg ufo and the, the hieroglyphics that it may it's always been interpreted you know i think wrongly as being egyptian looking hieroglyphics but uh -huh. what but it could have actually been runic which is yes. an ancient norse language mhm mm it's a, a very bottom of it it's sort of around the perimeter there's these right. different at the top and the bottom yeah but but what's fascinating is that he found a reference to this from the 1800s mm -hmm. in Del Shao's art. Well, the, the bell, the Nazi bell, is conventionally believed to have been built in the, in the you know, early to mid-40s, right, while the Nazis were still in power. And World War II was happening. There was a secret weapons program at this, <coughs> this place called Derisi, the giant, which was next to the Skoda... Uh, Skoda Munition Works in uh, in the Hearts Mountains, the Owl Mountains, which also has its own connotation <laughs> that we can get into sometime. Owls, but um, but yeah, they, they had built it there, and there's this thing called the Henge and all this other stuff. And this guy Hans Kamler uh, oversaw the weapons project and then disappeared with the bell on a bunch of the scientists. Well, it's believed that it was a Nazi project. Um, for a lot of reasons, but it turns out that it may have predated, predated that by, you know, 50 or 60 years, which is huge. All right. So where were so we? Let's, uh, we're talking about the bell. So let's go another uh, 10 minutes. Okay. So, so the bell, so the bell, right, is conventionally thought again to be a Nazi program. So mm -hmm. Walter found evidence that, that it existed it predated all that by 60 years, which is huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just utterly massive. It, it changes everything. And, and he found, he's found links to the Prussians. And, and, you know, what's interesting about Walter's work is that Walter, his work kind of uh, ends where mine starts. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a very interesting article. I think it's by the magazine just for that. Yeah. Well, there's just uh, a lot of interesting articles that sort of segue into one another that's what sort of caught my eye and you have uh one by uh richard allen miller so yes. synthetic telepathy and the mind wars that was probably a really heady piece and we probably have some more articles for the next one uh i hope so you richard know allen miller. yeah R richard allen miller is about the craziest interview i've ever had in the face of that was wild. Oh yeah, we gotta have that guy back. Oh yeah. my god, I need yeah. to hear about moon moonweed. Yes, yeah, that is uh, Luna weed. Luna weed. What then, is uh, of course, we had a uh, article by our friend Hercules Invictus yes. called an Olympian manifesto. That's right. And we also had. Uh, um, my friend Elisa E., who's a uh, MK Ultra mind control survivor, mm. and she wrote something that uh, you know I thought was very 
intriguing, very compelling about the truth about aging mind-controlled slaves and just sort of how the, the programming, what happens to the programming when people get older and sort of, you know, through hormones and just, you know, just the general aging process and how things sort of like break down. And oh, yeah. uh, so I thought that was really good. And, it does, uh, it breaks down. And then we had sort of like two articles that I thought were uh, somewhat uh, synergistic or synchronistic. Uh, Confession of an Art Director, a cult advertising tech by Jeff <laughs> And then also uh, an article called Breaking Propaganda in Novels and Movies. Um, I thought those articles had a lot of... A lot of good stuff. You know, I'll tell you. I'm, esoteric, esoteric aspects of the media and of literature. I'm really proud of this, this issue. It took a long time to make it. But I, I actually think it's a pretty damn good one. Definitely. Yeah, I think it, there's a lot of really great stuff in there. And we had a really great cover by this uh, tattoo artist. Yeah. Kilauleano. He, I mean, it's a fantastic cover. I know. And we were getting comments by, uh, like, old uh, former Paranoia subscribers who thought, wow, you guys are going retro with Paranoia because they thought it was, like, you know, a cover from back in the heyday. Right. So they were really excited about it. Which kind of brings me to this question is, can we start making T-shirts, getting Paranoia T-shirts with some of the uh, covers of Paranoia? We can. In fact, uh, we have for sale now uh, mm-hmm. T-shirts for issue 65, which is the one done by Kiloiano. And, and that's... Wow. Yeah, you can buy that today. And then we have the one done by Allie Hartley uh-huh. uh, for 64. That right. is available. And I'll work, I'm working on getting the others. And great. I, I should also mention... That uh, another bizarre place I went, I went, uh, I took a conspiracy vacation to Oregon mm-hmm. and I went to Evergreen Air. That's right. I did. Trips. And actually, so we don't you have a, uh, a series of T-shirts dealing with, uh, you know, CIA and we have Air the, Erica? We have the CIA airline collection. That's so awesome. currently we have... Uh, Air America, Ever, gotcha. Evergreen Air, and Southern Air Transport. Mm-hmm. So those are the three that we have right now. We're going to be adding more. And very soon, hopefully, we are going to have the Paranoia, the Paranoia, Paranoid Patch series, where we're going to do a series of t-shirts that are based on uh, super secret patches. So if you're familiar with the book, that book that was that had all the patches <clears throat> of like the secret squirrel and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. We we are converting those a lot of those patches, about thirty of them, mm-hmm. to be t-shirts as well. And I think that's going to be something else. And, be a lot of people wanting those. And we have uh, the Mongolian death worm. We have that's a, a little creepy. Honestly, that kind of creeped me out. It's like really, I don't know. Yes, the Mongolian death worm. We have a T-shirt for that. Okay. I was having nightmares actually about oh, the it. Mongolian death worm. Really? Yeah, it scared the hell out of me, man. I just thought 
it's like tremors, but real. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, oh. you know, there's some people that are into that kind of craziness, you know. <laughs> well, this uh, this episode's been all over the place, like usual. Yeah. Uh, oh, hey, I, I still need to talk to you about something. Uh, bring isn't it. There be a book out by Ralph Epperson, and we're actually going to be publishing one of his books. Uh, we're yes, uh, Conspiracy One Hundred and One. Oh man, that's coming. What's it about? What's it about? You're just gonna have to buy it and find out, Ron. Okay. You know you can't. But I mean, let's think about that, right? Let's think about it. Ralph, <coughs> who is considered one of the foremost conspiracy historians of all time, that is true. He wrote the unseen, the unseen hand. hand, which has to do with the conspiratorial history, the conspiratorial of the view view of history. Yes. Conspiratorial View That's of right. History. Correct. And then also he wrote a book, the follow-up book called The New World Order. Yep. And uh, he really hasn't put out a lot of books per se, but he really likes you and I and Paranoia. And so he said, hey, you know what, Ron Patton? You can publish one of my books. Just, you know, kick me a few bones and I'll be happy. So... Uh, I just think it's great that we're going to be able to do that. Very and, soon. Uh, possibly a couple of other very uh, well-known, controversial conspiracy folks that we may also publish. We, we still got to talk about it some more. But yeah, you know, there's a lot of people that really like us and like paranoia. And, you know, why not publish their stuff? Well, we're nice guys, Ron. Yeah, we are. We're, we're, so. we're genuinely nice guys, Ron. Mm-hmm. We're a little out there, right? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, not just a little weird. I think we're really weird. We're really weird. But uh, I think that's actually endearing to a lot of people. I think so, too. And we're nice. Mm-hmm. You know, you can actually email us. We respond. Yeah. And if well, you meet us at a conference, how do conference, they email you? We'll hang out. How do they email you? You can, you can email both of us through paranoiamagazine.com. Yeah. What's the email? Uh, what is it? It's well, we have a form that makes it oh. super. Oh, easy, okay. You just can... go to paranoiamagazine.com and if you want to contact what? us, fill out the, the form. Okay. Yeah, and and you can email me directly at olav o l a v at a n o m a l i e s dot net. Wow. And you know, I chat on Facebook occasionally, and I've been doing less Facebooking though. Right. It's a time sink. Yeah, and uh, you can uh, email Ron Patton, Editor-in-Chief of Paranoia, at paranoiapublishing at gmail.com. We are real people, and you know what? I'm going to tell you something. What? Uh, you know, we get all, we've gotten, over over the, the time that we've done the podcast, you know, we have some very loyal listeners, mm-hmm. and, and they, they are very kind to us and say very wonderful things. And... Uh-huh. You know, we, we do appreciate it. You know, we don't, we're not in it for the money. We're in it for the fun of it. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, we do really appreciate our listeners. So, you know, we're, we're doing another round of these podcasts. We'll do it as much as we can. Um, but if you have ideas of what you'd like us to talk about, um, let us know. Um, we, we recognize that there's a new generation of conspiracy, uh, interested people 
mm-hmm. um, that are coming into this and they don't necessarily know what some of this stuff is. I mean, you'd be surprised that, you know, I want to do a show on the voice of America because a lot of people don't know what it was. And, mm-hmm. you know, we did, we did Monarch and we did number stations and, and various things. And it's like, if you, if there's a topic, you know, between Ron and I, we know a lot of stuff about this, these topics. So, you know, let us know if there's something you want us to cover. Oh, hey, we also need to get that guy Arturo on. Now, he's the guy, him and his buddy smoked some pot <laughs> one time. And then it's like all of a sudden they gain these like uh, psychic abilities, these telepathic abilities. It's, really? It's, it's really crazy. Psychic pot. Yeah. yeah. So I think we need to talk about that because – you know, talk about anomalies. Uh, yeah, that's well, something that's way out there. And I believe the guy. He's uh, I. I don't. I'm up in San Diego and stuff, and I think he's a fairly lucid and cogent individual who just happened to trip out after smoking some pot, and there, it wasn't laced with anything either. Well, so. the the other one, I actually want to get Clyde on twice. Clyde Lewis. Friend, oh, yeah. friend of the magazine, Clyde Lewis. Yeah, we um, gotta get him on. There's two things that I I want to get Clyde Lewis on to talk about. One is that he has a story about a time slip. Mm-hmm. You yes. know that you know the story about the pancake house and the time slip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of a lot of you may or may not listen to, to Ground Zero. You know, both Ron works at Ground Zero. I used to work at Ground Zero. <clears throat> we both know Clyde, you know, brother Clyde, Clyde. Lewis. That's right, brother Clyde. But he doesn't talk about it very often. But Clyde was actually involved in a full-blown, honest-to-God time slip. Mm-hmm. And when he was young, and it's very weird, and I think that it would be a hell of a show. And um, he also, again, very rarely talks about it. But he was, but he actually had a run-in with the Men in Black. Uh, on a thing called the West Desert Alien, and I, I think that I think that those two play right into yeah. you know the paranoia podcast experience, and I think the listeners would get a kick out of both of them. Yeah, I think that'll be great. We, I I can probably schedule something like that. <laughs> yeah, I might have to might have to call him. Yeah, well, probably we have to do it on a weekend, you know, because we have our shows on Monday through Friday yeah. from seven to midnight Pacific time. Yep. Just go to groundzeromedia.org and listen live. And, and again, uh, big thanks to Taylor, uh, Taylor the Time Traveler. Uh, he'll, be make, he'll be randomly popping in uh, to give us subjects to talk about. I, uh, yeah. I told him, I said, you know, he was like, I have this idea. And I said, okay. And I, I wanted to call it a, a Stump the Conspiracy Nuts. But uh, he, yeah, he has a, a whole because you know he's a big Doctor Who guy mm-hmm. over there, a podcastica, you know, and so he he's got it all done with you know the sounds of the TARDIS, and it's a it's a it's a riot. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll we'll introduce that at some random point. And again, everybody, you know, we produce these as we can. Um, it's very random, uh, like us. We're we're both a tad bit random. So, mm-hmm. you know, be, please bear with us. If you do like the show, uh, if you think it kicks ass, which I know a bunch of you do, um, please leave iTunes comments saying that we're the best ever and we kick ass. 
Or yeah. we're the worst ever, too. Yeah, you can tell us we, we suck. We don't care. That's fine. Yeah. We've been told we suck. Um, it is amateur hour. We don't... You know, I'll tell you, Ron. You know, when we first talked about doing this, mm-hmm. we, we had a distinct conversation about the atmosphere of the show. Yeah. And I think we, you know, at the time, we were both like, eh, fuck it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's what we do. Ah, fuck it. <laughs> we cough and fart and, and laugh and, and be stupid and sometimes we even cry. Yeah. It's I been known that. to happen. I've cried a couple of times just because I just felt really embarrassed about you. No, I'm just joking. I I cried when when uh, Dr. Richard Allen Miller told us that story about finding the woman's head in the Everglades. <laughs> yeah. I'm never gonna <laughs> you cried you cried from laughter i cried I, tears of tears confusion tears. Yeah. <laughs> so so so, uh, uh, so richard what's the weird he's, thing he he's a consummate uh paranoia kind of guy oh I'm, he is we'll have him on it again for sure i just yeah, remember, hey richard what's the weirdest thing you ever did oh i got called out and we found this woman's head in the everglades okay what's so weird about that oh well she died 30 minutes later Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on a second. Did she have her? Did she have her head? He goes, "Oh yes, she had her head when she died." Okay, well, how did you find her head in the Everglades? And her head was attached when she died. He goes, "Oh, he goes, oh man, I know that hurts." I still, man. I still don't know. I, I think I snorted on that one. I know. You were being Mister Piggy. <laughs> I yep yeah. Okay. Well, hey, I gotta go. I gotta go take a take a whiz and uh, catch the bus. Yeah, I I gotta go take a whiz and uh, maybe go to sleep or something. Okay. (laughs) All right, everybody. Well, thanks again for for uh, listening to another thrilling episode of the Paranoia Podcast. Uh, We try really hard to not try really hard. Um, It's been it's been a blast, and uh, again, be excellent to each other. Right on. Take good care and keep the faith. I like the right on tagline, Ron. (laughs) All right. Right on, bro. Catch you later. Thank you for listening to Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Sponsored by Paranoia Magazine. Read it now. Paranoiamagazine.com Intro theme, The Guide was composed by Scott Moon, scottmoon.net. Outro theme, Fighting Trousers, is by Professor Elemental, professorelemental.com. Voiceover written and performed by Mr. Lobo, host of Cinema Insomnia. Watch new episodes on OSI 74. Visit us at osi74.com. We are resuming control for now.